Welcome to the Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health Podcast, where we talk about the clinical and practical issues that face those working in the mental health industry. everyone, and thank you for joining us for this week's episode of The Barrier Breakdown. My name is Erin Molyneux-Bailey. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Cognitive Behavior Institute, and my co-host, Dr. Kevin Caridat, who is the CEO and owner at Cognitive Behavior Institute. This week, we are joined by a very special guest, Dr. Marjorie Baldwin, who is a professor in the Department of Economics at Arizona State University and has an international reputation for her research on employment discrimination against workers with mental disabilities. She is the author of a book titled Beyond Schizophrenia, Living and Working with a Serious Mental Illness, and is currently principal investigator for a four-year study on disclosure of serious mental health illnesses in the workplace, sponsored by the National Institute of Mental Health. So Professor, thank you so much for being here with us today and joining our listeners on the Barrier Breakdown. Can you tell us a little bit about how you became interested in employment discrimination against workers with disabilities? Yes, well, thank you for giving me this opportunity to to speak and to reach your your constituents. Um, I was trained as a labor economist and I did my dissertation on labor market discrimination against workers with disabilities. At the time, there was considerable research on discrimination against women in the labor market and discrimination against racial and ethnic minorities, but not so much, uh, hardly anything at all, in fact, on workers with disabilities. And it was an interesting group to study because unlike women or racial or ethnic minorities, which were treated as one homogeneous group, the group of people with disabilities is very heterogeneous, all different kinds of physical and mental disorders. Um, So after um, I completed my dissertation, I continued on on that path. And um, there it is. You are interested in mental health um, as part of that. Could you share a little bit about your interest uh, specifically in mental health? Yes, I I started out with looking at all disabilities, but um, as we did these studies comparing workers with mental illness with workers with physical disorders and so forth, um, persons with mental illness have really poor outcomes in the labor market. Among the poorest, they have uh, low wages and extremely low employment rates. Also, the stigma and discrimination against mental illness is more intense than almost any other physical disability so, um, or any other type of disability. And so this made um, workers with disability, workers with mental illness particularly interesting. Um, and then in 1999, my own son was diagnosed with schizophrenia, which of course gave me a very personal reason to focus on this particular um, group of disabilities. It sounds like, uh, you know, from your personal perspective, you've, you've gained some really good insight into kind of the impact. Can you speak to a little bit more of the specifics uh, and kind of what your research has shown with regard to that, uh, those outcomes and impact? Um, that, the out- outcomes? Of, actually, the, the research, um, it, it, it does, it does um, support this idea that the um, employment rates are very low around 
35% for some of the most serious illness, mental illnesses compared to 70, 80% among the population of people without disabilities. Um, and the wages are extremely low, um, so low that many people with serious mental illness have to rely on disability support systems, social security, disability insurance, or supplemental security income. So while the research overall supports that, we've also found that there are a number of people with even the most serious mental illnesses, many, many people in fact, who can and do work successfully in competitive jobs, earning wages that are sufficient to support themselves and, and perhaps a family. So um, in general, this idea of poor outcomes is true, but there are numerous exceptions that maybe people don't know about. You recently published a paper uh, focusing on disclosing mental illness at work. And can you uh, tell us a little bit about these three C's when it comes to disclosing serious mental illness at work? I believe they are control, conditions, and costs. Could you talk to us a little bit about those? Right, they kind of emerged as I was doing research in the literature. And most of the literature on the topic is, um, is qualitative. And by that, I mean that um, the samples are small and the um, results come from interviews with individuals or from um, focus groups, as opposed to going out and conducting a survey with large, you know, thousands and thousands of individuals or hundreds and hundreds. So in reviewing this research, it, it just seemed to coalesce into these three categories and conveniently I found three words that start with C to describe them. So control refers to this idea that mental illness, unlike many physical disabilities, is concealable. Uh, an individual can choose in many cases whether or, they, or not they want to tell their employer about their mental illness. Unlike say someone who has a hearing or vision disability or someone who needs a cane or a wheelchair to walk around, they their disability kind of discloses themselves. So this is the idea that there's some voluntary choice involved. The second idea, conditions, refers to the idea that disclosure isn't a binary choice. Although we say disclosed or not disclosed, really, if you choose to disclose, there's a lot of conditions you can place on that. When are you going to disclose? To whom are you going to disclose? And exactly what are you going to say? How much are you going to tell them about your history of mental illness and your diagnosis? And finally, the other consideration is costs. And of course, being an economist, you would expect costs to come into the conversation. And by costs, I mean broadly this idea of risks and benefits so that the individual given that they have a choice whether to disclose and they can put conditions on that, that choice is going to be determined by their calculation of what are the risks, what are the disadvantages, and what are the benefits to me of disclosing. Okay, great. Uh, that's very helpful. How do you see the dynamics, uh, which is on everybody's mind, of the pandemic? Because just today I read an article about how now that people are going back in the adjustment, and we know that just rates of, of mental health related disorders are increased during this time frame, people are just quitting. A lot of people are quitting, there's data showing just because of 
control in a sense of environment. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about that? So, so that's very interesting. Are they quitting because they now have to go back to the back to the workplace and they they like the flexibility of being at home or, or is... my sense was more the flexibility of being at home yes well it's that's very interesting because um flexibility is one of the key points in um what can enable someone with a serious mental illness to be successful at work um some people have their symptoms are in remission. They don't, they don't have any symptoms at all or they're controlled by medication, but some people still have symptoms. Um, perhaps their medications make them groggy in the morning or perhaps um, they have difficulty interacting with other people. So you can imagine that flexibility in being able to work from home, being able to have flexible hours allows a worker with mental illness to accommodate their disability themselves um, without asking an employer to provide job accommodations. So um, yeah, I, I, I see this, this idea of, of what we've all learned from the pandemic of how actually work can get done, thank goodness, with Zoom and the internet as a real boon to people with disabilities who, who can benefit from this flexibility. I would hope that it would enable more of them to work as, if, as opposed to people quitting because they, they now have to go to the office. You make an excellent point when it comes to that flexibility. So one of the things I think that is, um, that is key is that sometimes people who suffer from serious mental illness don't know when they're going to have a bad day. You know, a lot of times there can be triggers that they can, um, you know, avoid, but a lot of times you just don't know when you are not going to be feeling, um, feeling well. And, you know, um, whereas someone may have had to call off sick that day or not go into the office at all, perhaps that flexibility to have a couple hours here and there could result in uh, increased productivity as well as being able to continue to work with, you know, other colleagues uh, to accomplish things. So their efficiencies may actually increase. So I, I can definitely see what you're saying there. Exactly, exactly. Another important factor is the culture of the workplace how, how um, willing they are to allow workers some autonomy and freedom. So um, workers with mental illness tend to do better in workplaces where um, they recognize that their workers are individuals and that they have different needs. So um, some, one may be caring for an elderly person, one may be caring for a baby, at home, one may be having a serious mental illness and they all need kinds of accommodations and adjustments. If employers are willing to do that, uh, then working with a person with a mental illness may not be so different as working with people with these other constraints. No, I think that's one of the things we value uh, even as an employer ourselves is with the pandemic, like you said, we all shifted to Zoom. Uh, as we transition back, it's kind of like really incorporating the team into it getting feedback from all members of the staff, uh, I should say partners, right? We're not really, we kind of view ourselves as all equal here, but really getting a feedback, you know, everybody has their own individual situation. And although it's still gonna be bumpy, I think for everybody, because it's just awkward, this transition 
that we're in uh, with a pandemic and going back to normal won't feel normal anymore. Uh, you know, so I think it's important to have that flexibility and kind of, although it's not a perfect world, I think I think hopefully it's appreciated and it, and it does decrease at least that level of stress that can be uh, uh, experienced by an employer side of, of change. Another thing that that people need to get past when specifically for people with mental illness is this idea of the intense stigma. And the stigma is associated with a number of negative stereotypes that people just assume when they hear someone has mental illness that these stereotypes apply to them. So one of them, for example, is that people with mental illness are incompetent, that they're incapable of taking care of themselves, that they're unreliable, that you don't know when they're going to show up or, or keep appointments or whatever, and that their behavior is unpredictable. And so if you believe that these stereotypes apply to everyone with mental illness, then naturally you're going to think this person can't work. This person can't hold a responsible job. This, at best, they could do some menial type of employment. Well, in fact, those stereotypes are false. Many people with mental, even the most serious mental illnesses um, are able to hold responsible jobs. Again, they do better. In, in flexible environments with an under where the, the culture of the workplace is understanding. But um, you, need, you need, kind of need all these things, plus this, this, um, this anti-stigma mentality um, to, 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 make, to make it successful. In your professional opinion, do you encourage people to be open about this during the interview process? Or do you think that that's something that they, is it too much too soon as far as revealing, you know, those kinds of, of um, personal, I'll say challenges, or is it best to get, you know, everything on the table so that you and your potential new employer can be on the same page? What's your, what are your thoughts on that? So that's interesting. So, so I'll first say that in my professional opinion, I don't have an opinion. <laughs> with regard to whether or not a person should disclose or when or to whom it's very individual and depends on themselves as an individual and the characteristics of their job and their workplace. So I'll answer that from the perspective of people with serious mental illness themselves. And in everything I've read, they're almost unanimous in saying that it's a mistake to try to disclose upon hiring. Now, some people will, uh, some people will need to, if they need to uh, let an employer know about job accommodations or whatever, but most people say it's better to get the job and then tell the employer what kinds of accommodations that you need. And if possible to wait and get a read on the workplace, on the culture and what the response, response might be. Okay. And as a mother, is there anything that you would like to share with the world um, about, uh, you know, uh, having a child with a serious mental illness and their capabilities? Oh, that's interesting. Um, so when my son was first diagnosed, it kind of, even though I studied disability, I knew very little about mental illness and almost nothing about schizophrenia in particular. And as I read more about it, became more and more scared because it's probably, if not the most serious, one of the most serious illnesses. And um, the prognosis is not good for many people in what I read. And so for the first um, few years, I, I, I think the 
one of the biggest things was feeling that my, I'd lost my son. He, he could not be the, the, he could not reach his potential. He could not have a full and, and wholesome life. And that was, that was very, very sad. Um, I thought he would be on medications the rest of his life. In fact, um, he has surprised me and he, um, he's doing very well. His symptoms are in remission. He doesn't need to be on medications. He has a family. In fact, baby number three was just born this morning. So I have a new granddaughter. Congratulations. Thank you. And he has um, his own business where he, where he works as a handyman. So um, whenever I talk to people that many parents that have read my book will correspond with me. And whenever I talk to them, I said, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope, you know, believe in what, um, what your son or daughter can do. And then I think the other big thing is to, um, one of my son's big goals was to complete his education. And that is just, just paramount because once you've got an education, it opens a lot of doors to jobs that are flexible. And um, so I'm, I'm rattling on and I told you I wouldn't do that, but it's um, wonderful. It's one wonderful. of the uh, very authentic. So we really appreciate you, you sharing with us. One of the, um, one of the um, attributes of schizophrenia and, and other mental illnesses, bipolar disorder, is that they often strike right around age 18 to 22, right? Right when somebody has, um, is in the middle of college or is just about to enter college or whatever. And um, what a horrible time to get such a disabling illness. And if it means that they don't return to school and don't finish complete their education, it really closes a lot of options for them in employment. So um, I, I would say those are the two big, big, big lessons for parents. Um, believe that the outcomes can be a lot better than you thought and um, do everything you can to help them finish school if, if the illness, um, illness occurred at that crucial time. No, that's incredible. And that's excellent. And I'm sure that some of our listeners or the clinicians listening who have clients who are, can, can really relate to that and really use that piece of advice. So we thank you for sharing such a personal experience with us. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And can you just tell our listeners um, before we wrap up today, where they can find your book uh, and the article that you recently wrote? I think they would both enjoy being able to review those. Okay, so the, the article that you, we've been talking about is appeared in Psychiatric Services, and it is open access. And so I think you can probably provide the link with this. Yes, we will, we will be sure to do that in our podcast. Yes. Okay. Also, um, my current research, as you mentioned, is looking at um, this issue of disclosure. And we've interviewed more than 800 people with serious mental illness who are working in competitive employment. And um, if you want more information about that study and the results, we have a website. It's www.smistudy.com. I'll repeat it because I have no memory for things that I've heard. www.smistudy.com. And then lastly, the book is Beyond Schizophrenia, Living and Working with a Serious Mental Illness. Um, and 
I wrote it really to help people um, who would be, um, schizophrenia in particular is a serious mental illness, but it's not all that rare. It's about one in a hundred. Um, and so there's a lot of people out there going through what I went through and I wrote it to help those people. Also, I know your audience is clinicians and um, therapists. So the book is structured, each chapter begins with a story of incidents and so forth of me as a parent dealing with a son who had developed schizophrenia. But the second half of each chapter is the research that I've done in that area. So I think it, the book may be useful not only for parents and families, but also for clinicians and therapists. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today and for sharing um, both your research and your personal experience. We greatly appreciate it and we know that others do also. Oh, you're welcome and thank you for the opportunity. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you. We, uh, we, we hope to continue to stay in touch with you as you further your research uh, to see what else, um, what other mental health, um, what other health, what other mental health uh, initiatives that are, are coming out. Oh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'd be glad to um, share more. It's very exciting because we just got the full data set in um, last month. And so we're starting to assemble the, the results and a four-year data collection effort just makes me really eager to see what, what we find. Well, we can't wait to stay in touch and learn more. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you to the, our listeners of this week's episode of The Barrier Breakdown. We hope that you stay safe and healthy and we will see you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health. Listeners can find all of our episodes on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. For more information and to learn about upcoming continuing education events, check out our website, cbicenterforeducation.com, our Facebook pages, Cognitive Behavior Institute, and CBI Center for Education, as well as our Instagram at Cognitive Behavior Institute, and our Twitter at CBI underscore Pittsburgh. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. We hope you'll tune in for another guest next week.